This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. It is a pleasure and an honor to be here and to have the opportunity to talk with you about our work uh, integrating uh, genes, brain, and behavior in a truly extraordinary human condition called Williams Syndrome. An important point of departure for this talk uh, is the fact that Uh, Brain function or dysfunction can be observed at multiple levels of neuronal organization. The the, uh, most basic, of course, is gene expression, which works through cellular and uh, brain circuitry mechanisms to produce the complex emergent phenomena that make us who and what we are, uh, conferring complex behaviors and, in some cases, susceptibility to disorders. There's been a tremendous uh, impetus to, uh, in our research portfolios to understand the genetic uh, determinants of this cascade of events. And it's really easy to understand why this is the case, because genes are entry points to molecular pathways that can lead us to new treatments, to early detection, and possibly to prevention uh, of diseases, and to teach us about our variability and what makes us who and what we are. And I'm going to be telling you about Williams syndrome, which is a truly extraordinary model uh, of phenotype-genotype relationships, and that allows us to make inferences across these multiple levels of neuronal organization and sometimes disorganization. So let me tell you first about the genetics uh, of Williams syndrome. Uh, This is a rare disorder. It uh, uh, exists in somewhere between 1 in 7,500 and 1 in 20,000 live births, depending on whose statistics one believes. And it is caused by the removal, the hemideletion, of one copy of a number of genes, about 25 of them, on chromosome 7 uh, in this locale. This is about 1.6 megabases of genetic material. And uh, this is a very active part of our genome, and the reason is that Uh, This segment of DNA is flanked on both sides for everyone in this room by uh, low-copy repeat sequences. This means that there are similar DNA uh, sequences here and here. It's thought that these are of recent origin and uh, rapid evolution that play a role in hominid speciation. And this this causes mistakes during recombination. Uh, These two ends can get mixed up. And this leads to either the removal of one copy, which is uh, what causes Williams syndrome, or duplication, which causes uh, three copies of genes to be present in this region. And at the end of my talk, I'll tell you about this uh, fascinating duplication syndrome. But first, uh, about Williams syndrome. So I, I and my colleagues, we were drawn to Williams syndrome because this is a very well-defined, circumscribed cognitive behavioral profile in human beings, which I'll tell you about in a moment. Uh, Moreover, the affected genes are known, unlike many of the complex disorders that we study, schizophrenia, autism, et cetera, uh, many of the ones that uh, Dr. Geshwin uh, showed before. 
We hoped that by studying uh, Williams syndrome, this gold standard phenotype-genotype link, that we would be able to um, uncover neurogenetic mechanisms that underlie complex human behaviors and disorders. And our goal has been, and our, and our strategy has been to very carefully define the brain phenotype, the, the brain features that characterize Williams syndrome, and to use this information to bridge the knowledge gap between genes and behavior. So let me tell you a little bit about uh, the syndrome. Uh, people with Williams syndrome have facial features that are very similar. This is an old picture, very famous, from one of Dr. Belugi's uh, seminal uh, papers. And you can see how much these unrelated children with Williams syndrome look. But it was really two hallmark neurobehavioral features that caught our interest, one in the domain of personality and one in the domain of cognition, and I'll be speaking about uh, each of these. Let's talk about the cognitive profile first. This is a, an, a distinctive pattern of peaks and valleys in abilities. Language is, is uh, very good, face recognition is preserved, but visuospatial construction is markedly impaired. Visuospatial construction is the ability to visualize an object or picture as a set of parts and construct a replica of the object from those parts. This is the classic uh, neuropsychometric test that's used to access visuospatial uh, constructive abilities. This is the block design test. People are shown a model like this and they're given some blocks and asked to reconstruct it. And you can see how poorly folks with Williams syndrome do, even compared to folks with Down syndrome with the same IQs. Another way that this can be accessed is by drawing, which Dr. Geshwin was talking about. And this is a child, a seven and a nine and a half year old child drawing a bicycle. And we would not know at all that this was a bicycle if the parts weren't labeled for us. So a dissolution of this information in space. And I love this example, again, from uh, a work of Dr. Belugi's. This is an elephant. And we would not know that if uh, this weren't labeled. This is a pretty impoverished picture. And compared it to this rather rich uh, depiction in the verbal domain from the same uh, teen with Williams syndrome, and I'll read some of it to you. It lives in the jungle. It can also live in the zoo. It has long gray ears, fan ears, ears that can blow in the wind. If they're in a bad mood, it can be terrible. It could stomp. It could charge. They have big, long tusks. They can damage a car. You don't want an elephant as a pet. You want a cat, a dog, or a bird. <laughs> So pretty rich and, and very lyrical almost compared to this impoverished drawing. So domain specificity of the peaks and valleys in Williams syndrome. My colleagues and I over the years have done a number of studies trying to understand the, the brain features that go along with that inability. This is a posterior back view of the brain, and uh, we and others now have found a structural anomaly. This is not a lesion. It would not be read as such by any radiologist, but this is a statistical finding, a reduction in gray matter volume, the gray matter of our brains right here early in the dorsal stream that processes where objects are in space. We also found functional deficits that emerge from this structural anomaly. And this has been a very uh, well-replicated and reliable brain phenotype for mapping gene effects. And that, of course, was our goal in starting out these studies. 
And we have found, I don't have time to talk about this today, although perhaps we will in the uh, question and answer part, but we found this to be linked to one, one particular gene in the Williams syndrome region, the LIMK1 gene. I'd like to turn to the uh, Williams syndrome profile now because this is in many ways the most immediately apparent uh, and captivating aspect of folks with, with this syndrome. They are highly and overly social, they're em empathic, outgoing, loquacious, charming, uh, unusually friendly even with strangers. However, they're anxious in some non-social situations, never social, uh, uh, non-social. So, Increased sociability, increased number of social contacts, increased empathy that can be uh, measured experimentally. They don't observe social distance unless they're taught to. Uh, they're socially fearless even in infancy, but there is this strong increase in non-social anxiety. My colleagues and I have also searched for brain features underlying this aspect of Williams syndrome, and we've uh, become very interested in an area called the insula and convinced that it's important. Uh, so this is an area of the brain that integrates cognitive, affective, and social information. It plays a crucial role in empathy, uh, in introception, thinking about ourselves, and in social function. So it's a great candidate, and we have found that the both the the uh, structural size and the function of this region of the brain predicts the degree to which this Williams syndrome personality profile is expressed in individual patients, and we've replicated this in a large number of children now. And we have linked this to a general transcription factor gene that is in the Williams syndrome region. Uh, I'd like to turn now to talk to you about children with duplication. So these folks have three copies of these relevant genes, and they are, uh, provide a remarkable opportunity and are extraordinarily interesting also. So uh, people with the deletion were uh, described first about a decade ago by my colleague Carolyn Mervis and others, and you can see right away that people with the duplication have similar facial features, as do those with Williams syndrome, but they're quite different. And they differ in uh, other very important and interesting ways. Williams syndrome, as I've told you, has a weakness in spatial skills, whereas there's a relative strength in spatial skills in the duplication. And you can see this uh, in examples from two of our uh, children patients, child patients. This is a 12-and-a-half-year-old with Williams syndrome drawing a bike, a little impoverished. This is a 10-year-old with a duplication drawing a bike, and you can clearly see the contrast in the level of detail and spatial uh, uh, integration in this, this image. Uh, folks with Williams syndrome have a strength in expressive language. They're very personable uh, and good language uh, relative to IQ. Uh, people with Williams, with uh, the duplication, have a marked speech and language delay, and this is often why they come to the attention of clinicians, so a contrast there. People with Williams syndrome are excessively social. However, people with the duplication have problematic and reduced social function. And in fact, there was a very influential paper uh, from uh, UCSF showing that the duplication of Williams syndrome genes is formally 
and statistically associated with a diagnosis of autism. And we've actually uh, shown this experimentally using a personality questionnaire uh, in which we found a factor, a sociability factor, comprised of cheerfulness, gregariousness, people-orientedness, visibility, affectionateness, and responsivity that uh, had a stepwise function according to the number of genes. One copy in Williams syndrome, here's their sociability score. Two copies in typically developing children, around zero. And three in the duplication syndrome. And we're using these values to search for brain uh, features that may correlate with uh, this gene dosage. And we believe that these brain features exist, and we will find them. And we actually have some preliminary uh, evidence that I want to share with you. So uh, with regard to total brain volume and relative cerebellar volume, we see opposite but stepwise functions, one copy, two copies, three copies of these genes, one copy, two copies, three copies of these genes. And what's interesting about this is that the findings in the duplication syndrome uh, are also evident in autism, although uh, there is some controversy about this. So it will be such a privilege to continue this work and to uh, continue to see these children longitudinally over time, which we're doing at the NIH right now. So uh, contrasting behaviors and brain features associated with stepwise alterations in these particular uh, genes in 7Q1123, one copy of affected genes in Williams syndrome, two copies in the general population, three in the duplication syndrome. So this is a very clear road to uncovering neurogenetic mechanisms uh, and an extraordinary opportunity to understand what makes us who and what we are and what biological mechanisms confer our wonderful human variability. It's an extraordinary syndrome and a privilege to study it. I'd like to uh, take a moment to thank our families and uh, our participants, and I'd like to thank Dr. Baluji for her continuing inspiration throughout my career, and you for your attention. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.